Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? Excellent, excellent. Good morning. So glad to have you with us today. Uh, If you're a guest with us, my name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's so great to have you worshiping with us. If you are a guest with us, we'd love to connect with you. The best and simplest way you can do that is simply to grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to the number on the screen, 910 424-1298. Just simply text CONNECT there. We'll send you a link. Click on that. Answer a couple of questions just so we can know that you are here. Uh, We'd love to engage with you, connect with you the best way that we can. But while you're here, for everyone, a couple of quick announcements to throw your way just to know what's going on. Number one, child dedication. Uh, We're going to be having child dedication classes. um, And then we'll do a child dedication service March 7th. And 14th, we're going to have the classes during the uh, 9.30 class uh, time during this right here, 9.30, March 7th and March 14th. And then during the 11 o'clock March 14th service, we will do the presentation of the children and their parents and pray over them. So that's going to be March 7th and 14th. Uh, If you'd like to sign up for that, you can text the word CHILD to our number on the screen. 910-424-1298. Also, next Sunday, March 7th, we're going to have a business meeting directly after the 11 o'clock service. This is going to be to vote on our new children's minister job description that we'll start that process of searching through. And then also to vote on funds for building a building uh, in the back of our property for our face-to-face homeless ministry, uh, a building for them to be able to work out of. So that'll all be next Sunday after the 11 o'clock service. And then on March 13th, uh, my last announcement for you, uh, we're going to have a missions fundraiser here Saturday, March 13th. You can buy tickets out either door. We're going to have tables set up. You can buy tickets out there uh, to come and get a chicken dinner. And then also we'll have some items that you can uh, purchase as well. All of that money goes directly to missions here at Southview. And so don't forget that Saturday, March 13th. And any other announcements that was, we have, anything else going on here, you can download the Southview Baptist Church app and find all of the announcements, everything going on. Find a journey group. You can give. We encourage you to Uh, Be faithful and generous in your giving as the Lord calls us to do so. You can do that through our app or at any of our locations here as you leave, placing your offerings there. We encourage you to do that. Great ways for you to connect. Download that app so you can stay plugged in. Uh, But as we're here together worshiping, I want to read a scripture to you. So last Sunday, I was not here with you. Uh, My wife and I had a chance to get away for a couple of days, went down to the beach for a couple of days. And uh, it was cold, but uh, even when it's cold, you can't beat a day at the beach. So we were down, and as you see all the sand, the scripture that came to my mind was Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18. Listen to what David says in Psalm 139. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand I awake and I am still with you. So just imagine this. Imagine you go down to the beach. You walk out in the sand and you scoop up 
a handful of sand. How many billions and billions of little grains of sand are just sitting in your hand? Now multiply that by all the grains of sand on the beach that you're on. Then multiply that by every beach in North America. Then multiply that by every beach in the entire world. How many innumerable grains of sand are sitting on this planet right now? And Psalm 139 says, God thinks of you more than that. God thinks of you, if I were to count them, they are more than the sand. What God thinks of you is more important than anything else. What God thinks of you is more important than what you think of you. What God thinks of you is more important than what the people around you think of you. What God thinks of you is more important than what your friends think or more important than what your enemies think. What God thinks about you is the most important thing in the world. In just a moment, we're going to sing. We're going to sing a song about who you say that I am. And what I want you to do is I want you to really not just sing the words, but I want you to engage and really ask the Holy Spirit to show you through his word what God really thinks of you. If you believe by faith in Jesus Christ, trust in him for salvation, you are a child of God, and he thinks just innumerable blessings and gracious thoughts over you. He has made you brand new. He has delivered you out of your sin. He has filled you with his spirit. He has empowered you to live out in his life. What he thinks of you is more important than anything else in the world. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads just for a moment. I want to pray over us. Lord, the thoughts, the ideas, the opinions can just be flying at us. What people who know us think about us, what people who don't know us think about us, lies from the enemy being thrown our way. We are assaulted constantly about how we should think about us. And we will inevitably either think way too highly of ourselves than we should or way too low of ourselves than we should. But God, I pray instead that we would push all that aside and we would just focus in, God, on what you think of us. I ask you, Lord, today, God, that we would open up our eyes to see what you really think of us. By your grace, let us be changed by it. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship the Lord. Morning, church.
As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you, my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouth of your children or from the mouth of your children's children from now on and forever, says the Lord. Let's continue to rejoice in the Lord and sing blessings over our brothers and sisters in Christ.
keep you. May His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, turn His face toward you and give you peace. This week, March 5th, we're going to have a, a special event here at our church. I would encourage you to come and be a part of it, put on by Voice of the Martyrs. It is a time where we're going to get a chance to hear the stories of three men who were arrested and imprisoned for their faith in foreign countries and get to hear their story. Um, in your mind right now, just guess how many Christians you think are killed every year because they're Christian. Just kind of have a number in your mind. Um, we'll play a little game. Uh, the number is north of 100,000 people every year. 100,000 people. We've had over a million in the last decade killed because they're Christians, doing exactly what we're doing in here right now. The Voice of the Martyrs is a ministry that seeks to raise support for that, raise awareness of that, and minister to them. Uh, my wife and I, we've, we have financially supported Voice of the Martyrs for years now. Um, we, uh, we wholeheartedly endorse the ministry. And so this coming week, March 5th, 6.30, we're going to have a time where you can come and kind of hear a little bit of some stories of people who have been martyred for the faith. If you'd like to be a part of that, you can text VOM, Voice of the Martyrs, VOM, to our number, 910-424-1298, just so we can kind of get a number of who we're expecting. Um, so that'll be 6.30, March 5th. But as we go into our corporate prayer time, I want to spend a little bit of time praying for the persecuted church. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus calls blessings down on those who are being persecuted for Jesus. And so I want to take a little time and I want us to, to pray. Um, as we walk through our corporate prayer time, um, we're at the stage where we're praying, um, deliver us from evil. And of course, persecution for the Christian faith is just absolute evil. So we want to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are right now experiencing that. Who know what it means to really count the cost. So we can just bow our heads just for a moment. Um, 
I know that it's more than likely that no one in this room knows anyone personally who has been beaten, imprisoned, killed for the Christian faith. And so it can be a little out of sight, out of mind. It kind of, in a, in a North American context, it may be a little hard to kind of wrap our brains around what life like that would be. But I want to pray that the Lord would, by His grace, give us a heart for that and a mind for that. For those brothers and sisters in Christ who are having to experience this, and this is their daily, daily life. So Lord, I pray first for us as a church, God, that we would have our hearts and minds open to really see and understand that there are people being truly persecuted for the faith. As we walk through the book of Acts here in the next few months, we see persecution. I pray, God, that it would resonate in us. That it's not just a thing that happened then, but that is something that is a real life, day-to-day situation of many around the world. And there are thousands, thousands who will be killed. Thousands and thousands more who will be imprisoned. Simply for doing what we're doing right here, right now. God, I pray for them. I pray, God, that you would, Matthew 5.10 would be true over them, God, that you would bless them. I thank you, Lord, that you are promising them an inheritance, a blessing, a kingdom far beyond this world. I pray, God, right now for believers in Christ who are in the midst of persecution. Right now, we don't even know who they are, where they are, what they're experiencing. But we ask right now, Lord, that they would be filled in their hearts deeply, God, with a a, a a profound excitement and joy for the kingdom that awaits them. Even if they are reviled on this earth. God, I pray for us, God, that we would not just not just hear those stories and think, wow, I'm so glad I don't have to do that. But God, we will be stirred with compassion for our brothers and sisters and we would seek to pray earnestly, faithfully, do what we can financially, everything within our power to care for those brothers and sisters. I pray, God, also for the believers in Christ who are met with persecution and they don't respond faithfully. God, that's a story that's not often told, but is very important. God, I pray for those who are told, stop attending this church or we'll throw you in jail. And so they stop attending the church. I pray, God, for them that you would... Show them your grace and your mercy. Show them, God, that you forgive them. Show them, God, that they do not live under condemnation because of that. But they get to walk again in your boldness. I pray, God, that we would be a people here that cares deeply for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and actively seeks to minister in any way we possibly can for your glory. Do this, Jesus, in us. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you got a Bible, find the book of Acts. And again, that's going to be um, this week, March 5th, Friday, March 5th. And so if you are able to be a part of that text so we can kind of have an idea. Um, if you forget to text, that's all right. Just come on anyway. Um, but that's going to be 
uh, March 5th at 6.30. We'll be here and excited to hear what the Lord says to us. All right, so we're walking our way through the book of Acts. Quick on-ramp into uh, what's going on. All right, so Jesus uh, lived, ministered, died on the cross, was buried for three days, victoriously rose again, met his disciples, hung out with them for about 40 days, then ascended up into heaven. And as he's ascending up into heaven, he gives them this unbelievable mission. Go to Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, take and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So that's what they do. They go back to Jerusalem, Holy Spirit comes. You see that in the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Fills them with the Holy Spirit. They begin to proclaim the word of God in boldness. And then 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus. And then they organize those 3,000 people into a church that seeks to worship and glorify God, seeks to nurture within one another a deeper love and affection and worship of Jesus and to be an ongoing constant witness in the world. So we've seen that over the first couple of chapters here in Acts. But what I want to do is back up just a hair and jump back into Acts chapter 2. And I want us to take just a couple of minutes this morning and look a little more deeply into the sermon that Peter preaches at Pentecost. Because this is extremely important. And I, and I need us to, to, to really have the Holy Spirit impart this to us and let us understand this, okay? At the end of the day, Christianity, the gospel, is not, it is not about us starting schools, hospitals, or orphanages. The gospel is not about us doing medical mission trips or doing construction projects. Now, all of those things can be platforms for the gospel. But at the end of the day, the gospel is a message. It is, it, the word gospel literally means good news, good proclamation. The, the, the message of Jesus Christ is what drives everything. What we're going to see throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see thousands of people have their lives flipped upside down. We're going to see people boldly standing up in the face of persecution, um, being, being beaten and imprisoned and killed. We're going to see people leave their homes and travel to the end of the known world looking definite death in the face. Why are they doing all of that? They're doing that because of a message. There is a message that has done something to them. That has completely and totally ripped their hearts apart and ravaged them. There's a message that has flipped them upside down. And if we're going to understand the book of Acts, we've got to understand the message. We've got to understand what in the world is driving these people. And then, for our own lives, we're going to ask ourselves, has the message changed us? As Peter preaches this message, you're going to get eventually to verse 37 in Acts chapter 2. And Pastor Steve spoke about this last week. It says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That word cut can also literally just mean stabbed. They're literally, when they heard the message, it stabbed them in the chest. True or false? If you get stabbed in the chest, you notice that. Can we agree on that? Right? I mean, there isn't a single person... That walked into the building this morning, and one of our ushers had to stop you and go, Hey, listen, you know you got a knife hanging out your chest? Like, got a knife? oh my goodness, where did that come from? Right? No one, no one did that. When you get stabbed in the heart, you tend to notice. 
And when these people heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says it stabbed them in the heart. They crumbled to the floor in spiritual agony and cried out to Peter, tell us what to do. Exactly what would happen if you literally physically got stabbed in the chest. You would fall to the ground, look up screaming, help me. That is what happened in Acts chapter 2. Everything revolves around this message. This message stabbed them. This message sent them running after an answer. And then this message sent them drastically into a different trajectory in life. So what's the message? Let's pick it up and see. Acts chapter 2, let's start in verse 14, all right? So, we know the story we've been talking about, if you've been with us the last several weeks. So they're in the upper room. This sound like a tornado, right? You, you ever, have you ever been through a tornado, the train sound? Right, so this is what's come through Jerusalem. A tornado has ripped through the upper room. This sound has sent everyone running to find out what in the world is going on. They get to this upper room, and the disciples are proclaiming the glories of God in 16 different languages that they didn't even know. Some people heard this, marveled and praised God. Some people mocked and thought they were drunk. So that's where we're picking up in verse 14. Peter steps up center stage and is trying to explain what's going on here. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That's 9 a.m. All right. Now, in 2021, being drunk at 9 a.m., probably not that big of a deal. But here, fairly significant, all right? They're like, hey, it's 9 a.m., they're not drunk, okay? But, verse 16... This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now he's going to start reciting Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, all right? Verse 17. Now he's reading, quoting the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So he's quoting here Joel chapter 2, and we'll get the rest of it here in just a moment. He's quoting Joel chapter 2, and and Joel chapter 2 is explaining what's happening. Joel 2 is explaining the coming of the Holy Spirit, what's currently still happening for us today, and then we'll see in just a moment what's going to be happening in the future. Joel 2 is a deeply pregnant passage there's a lot going on here stuff happening here in Acts chapter 2 stuff that we are experiencing here today and stuff that hasn't even happened yet it's going to happen more into the future there's a lot going on but the big idea he's saying is this what you're experiencing now is God is pouring out his spirit he's not dripping it right it is a pouring out God is pouring himself out on his people and the response is going to be everyone male female rich poor, old, young, everyone who is a follower of Jesus, having the Spirit of God poured onto them, is going to be able to hear from God, speak the words of God, proclaim the glories of God. No longer is it just that special guy, Jeremiah or Elijah, proclaiming, but all people are going to be able to hear, receive, proclaim God's word. 
everyone is going to have a role in ministry. Everyone is going to be able to push forward the mission of the gospel. Verse 19. And I will show wonders. This is kind of the future things. These are things that are going to be, we see um, playing out in the book of Revelation, verse 19. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. He's laying out basically all of uh, upcoming redemptive history. Right? It's the Spirit of God is pouring out on his people, and as a result, everyone is now the witness that John, uh, that, that Acts 1-8 was telling about. Everyone is proclaiming the glories and excellencies and, and, and worth of God. Everyone is proclaiming his word to everyone that's around them, and they're going to keep doing that until the day where Jesus comes back and judges the living and the dead. Jesus comes back and he proclaims his glory in fullness. And then that's where he ends in verse 21 and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter is standing up here and he's saying what's happening here isn't drunk, drunkenness. What's happening here is the preordained plan of God to pour out his spirit on his people so that you can hear his glory and that you can be changed. So that everyone who hears and calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. And he uses this as a springboard now. All right, so he's going to jump next into verse 22, and he's going to start talking about Jesus. And he's going to start talking about Jesus in very direct and powerful ways, all right? And this is the point. He's going to jump into this message, and this message that you hear Peter proclaim is the key, the catalyst for the absolute radical flipping upside down change in your life, in your family, in this community, and to the ends of the earth. This message, right? Christianity is not about buildings and programs. Those are great if they are used to do what Peter is about to do right now. Everything is about this. So we're going to ask ourselves two questions, all right? One, have I been stabbed in the heart by the true message of Jesus Christ? Has it deeply and powerfully affected and changed me? And then... Do I seek to see others stabbed in the heart also? That sounds odd. We're going to need to edit that before it goes online. But wait, we're live right now? Okay, never mind. We'll, we'll clarify. But let's jump into the message. Verse 22. What is this message? Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. And I love that Peter's doing this. So remind, remind me, the last time we see Peter at the end of the Gospels, Right? He's running away like a babysitter in a horror movie because a little girl said boo at a campfire. Right? He's cursing Jesus, running away, not wanting anything to do with him. Now he's standing in front of thousands, boldly proclaiming the gospel. Listen to what he says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. That God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So he's saying Jesus lived a miraculous, perfect, powerful life. And you all know he did. Verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now verse 23 is a honey of a verse. Read that one more time. This Jesus... 
delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So what you see happening in verse 23 is the unchanging plan of God and the free will decisions of man. And notice, God is not up in heaven going, whichever shall I choose. There is, see, see, quick, you are not God. So when you don't understand how God works, don't freak out. All right? God is able to do things according to his predetermined plan in such a way where he's still allowing people to work. And so what you see is, even though it is the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, the people who who hung Jesus on the cross, they're still wicked and vile men, and they're still held responsible for their sin. You see God able to do all of this so jesus is crucified but he doesn't stay that way verse 24 god raised him up well i love this verse god raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it that is so cool this is so the pangs of death. It literally is talking about birth pangs. It's kind of the, 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 the Greek word there. So here's the way it's describing it. So if you've ever been pregnant, I haven't been personally. But I've been beside my wife four times while she was pregnant. And so there comes a point where no amount of medicine in the world can keep that baby inside of you. Right? On four different occasions, my wife looked at me and said, it's time. Are you sure? Trust me on this one, right? This thing's happening, right? There comes a point where the, 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 the mother's body physically can't keep the child inside. The baby is going to be birthed. That is going to happen. That's the same way he's describing Jesus in the grave. You couldn't hold him there if you had to. He's coming out, right? He literally could not be held by the grave. It wasn't possible he's bursting out of the grave verse 25 now in verse 25 he's going to bring in some more old testament scriptures going to quote psalm 16 for david says concerning him i saw the lord always before me for he is at my right hand that i may not be shaken therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced my flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to hades or let your holy one see corruption you have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me dwell. You, you make me full of gladness in your presence. So now, he's quoting Psalm 16, and, and now Peter is explaining it. Verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about patriarch, the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is still with us today. So David's talking about not being held in the grave, but he's saying, can we all agree David's dead? So, David's got to be talking about someone else. Verse 30. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. He's speaking of the resurrection of Jesus and saying, look, this was prophesied. That it was going to happen. We all are witnesses that it's going to happen. Let's all go right now to the tomb. Remember the one that he was in? It's empty. Let's go check that out. This happened. 
but not, not only crucified, not only buried, not only resurrected, but then he was exalted. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He's quoting Psalm 110. There's talking about this, this not only resurrection, but ascension of Jesus. So Jesus rose from the grave, then Jesus ascended up into heaven. You see that in the beginning of Acts chapter 1, and he sat down at the right hand of God, fully enthroned as God, and he says, I'm going to sit right here until ultimately Jesus destroys all of his enemies, makes his enemies his footstool. So what we see happening here is the miraculous life of Jesus, the crucifixion and burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus, and the ultimate victory of Jesus. And what he's telling them is this, verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He's saying, listen to me very carefully. Jesus is God. He's not just a good man or a good teacher or a moral leader. He is literal God of the universe. He came down so you can worship him as God and he can be your king. But instead of being uh, his subject, instead of allowing him to be your king, you try to kill him. And by the way, you stink at it because he's not dead anymore. He's alive and what happened, verse 37, this is when, when they hear this, when they hear, don't you understand, you, your Messiah, your long-awaited Messiah, the only hope of salvation you have, he came and you killed him. When they hear that, then you get verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They are absolutely devastated. They are stabbed in the chest. And it's interesting, verse 36 again. So Peter's not talking to the religious leaders that led the wild kangaroo court that convicted Jesus. And he's not talking to the Roman soldiers that physically nailed his hands and feet to the cross. He's not talking to them. But he's still in verse 36 says, this Jesus whom you crucified. Even though they physically didn't do it, it was their sin, their rebellion, their self-reliance, their self-will and determination that sent him there. And the same is true for us. Brothers and sisters, do we understand Every time, every time we walk in an act of pride and rebellion, every time we seek to live out of our own strength, every time we let anger determine how we're going to respond to someone, every time we live under the rule of lust as our God, Every time we do that, we take Jesus, who is supposed to be our Savior and our Lord, we take him and we throw him aside, just like they did in the crucifixion. And what Peter says to them, he says to us, he says, don't you see that this, your only hope of salvation has come and you have rejected him? 
your only source of life and hope and peace, your only way to get out of your sin, the only way to be really set free and delivered has come, and you killed him. And when they hear this, they are stabbed. And they ask the question, verse 38, or verse 37, what do we do? And then verse 38, Peter gives them the answer. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he tells them two things, repent and be baptized. So let's chat about that just for a moment. Repent and be baptized. So the word repent literally means to, to have a total change of heart and mind, right? To see the direction that you're going is wrong, to quite literally cut a mental, physical, literal U-turn in your life. And go back the other direction. Repentance is not realizing what you're doing is wrong. Repentance is not realizing you shouldn't be doing that thing. That is not repentance. Okay? We just don't get these two things confused. Sometimes we confuse confession and repentance. They're together, but confessing isn't enough. You must confess and repent in turn. Right? I mean... You, you have this moment in your life. Everyone does something that they know they shouldn't do. All right? Simply realizing that thing is wrong and I shouldn't do it isn't enough. Right? Everyone has done something they know they shouldn't do. You're going to leave this place. You're going to need lunch. And you're going to swing by the Hardee's down the road. And you're going to get a four-decker monster-thick crazy burger with a Diet Coke just to even it out. And you're going to eat that thing. And listen, I love you. I love you, and I love, uh, I love fast food. It's great. But can we all agree, like, it's proven now, that stuff's going to kill you, right? Okay, can we agree, agree there, right? And you know it's going to kill you, but you still eat it. Simply knowing something is wrong, simply knowing something is bad isn't enough. Everyone has done that thing they know they shouldn't do. I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. Everyone's dated someone they know they shouldn't date. Some of you married that person. Don't look. Simply knowing something is wrong isn't enough. He doesn't say, see that what you're doing is wrong. He tells them, repent. Turn. Not just see it's wrong, but turn. And not just turn, but turn specifically now to someone else. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. So let's chat about baptism for a moment. So we are a Baptist church that should not surprise you. It's on the sign out front. We got a big pool in the back. In the next week or so, we're going to do baptism. So, you personally have been baptized, or if you haven't been baptized yet, but you've seen it, so here it is. We come down into the pool, we got water, right? We call it baptism by immersion. So, you're standing in the water, we've got the person there, and what do they do? They go all the way down, come all the way back up. Why do we do that? We do that because. We truly believe every step of that means something, and it is completely tied to the message of the gospel that is meant to stab you in the chest. When you're standing in the pool, you come into this pool, it's a picture of two things. It's a picture, one, of what Jesus did for you. It's a picture, two, of what you are now called to do by faith in Christ. So you have a, Jesus. Jesus what? He died buried under the water in the grave, and then came back up again to new life. 
Likewise for you. In Jesus, you die to your old way of life, buried in Jesus, and rise again to new life in him. What you do with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is you realize the way I'm going is wrong. It is sinful. It is rebellion. It is contrary to God. I'm doing it in my own strength. I turn from that. I turn just to Jesus. And when again, baptism by immersion we think is really, really super important. This isn't just something we stick to because, again, it's on the name out front. We really believe it matters. Because when you're going in immersion, really what you're saying is this. I am immersing myself in everything Jesus has for me. I want all that Jesus has, all of his life, all of his grace, all of his forgiveness. All, I, don't want, I don't want a sprinkle. I want the whole thing. I want total, complete, absolute immersion in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I want him in totality. And this message changes everything. It changes everything. Let me give you a few ideas of what this changes. All right? Number one is this. Since Jesus lived a perfect life, you don't have to. We saw back in verse 22 that Peter said, look, he lived among you with all these wonderful, amazing miracles and signs and wonders. And you all saw that. Jesus lived the perfect life so that you don't have to try anymore. Isn't this a message that we need to hear? Isn't this the message that our friends and family need to hear? Are we sick and tired of trying to be perfect? Are we sick and tired of trying to figure out if we can get there on our own? The point of the message of Jesus Christ is you can't, and that's a good thing. Realize you can't. Realize you're not supposed to. It's exhausting trying to be perfect. It's exhausting trying to never mess up. You don't have to do that anymore. And, and when you were, Marie and I were talking about this this morning, getting ready. When you're trying to live a perfect life, when you're trying to be perfect, present yourself as perfect, present yourself as together, when you're trying to do that, all, you, you are totally self-focused. You have to be because you're constantly examining yourself. How am I doing? How am I going? You're constantly examining yourself. And because you're constantly examining yourself, you can't look to God or anyone else around you. You become totally self-absorbed because you're trying to keep the image together. And what the message of Jesus Christ says is you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to do that anymore. Christianity is amazing. Christianity gives you the opportunity to stand up and say, I am not just flawed. I am a sinner. I sin. I seek my own way. I do that in my own life. But Jesus Christ has forgiven me. He's empowered me. And by God's grace, I'm walking less and less and less and less and less in my own strength. You think, you, think, you think I'm walking in some crazy self-reliance today. You should have seen me a decade ago. You don't, don't trust me. Jesus has done a great work in me. Because Jesus lived the perfect life, you don't have to try anymore. You trust him. Because since Jesus was punished for sin, you don't have to be. Jesus was punished. One of the great tools used by the enemy is condemnation. 
just immersing you, beating you down with more and more and more and more and more condemnation and guilt. Romans is going to tell us, Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to be set in guilt and condemnation anymore. I had lunch just a couple of weeks ago with a guy. He said, man, how do I do this? I, 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 I start to walk in the Lord. I start to do that, and I'm feeling good, and then I mess up, and I feel bad. And because I messed up and I feel bad, I feel like I shouldn't go back. And I need to kind of get things straight in my life before I come back to the Lord. I'm like, no, 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 no. That is condemnation. Jesus has set you free from that. Since Jesus was buried in the grave, you don't have to be buried in your sin. Doesn't it feel like sin just weighs you down? Doesn't it feel like sin is just all consuming and weighs you down? Jesus says, I was buried so you don't have to be. I was covered up so that you don't have to be. Which brings us to that next one. Since Jesus was raised to new life. You get to new, live new life in him. Jesus rose from the grave so that you can be brand new. Look at verse 39. Here's how Peter ends his message. After telling them to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, he says, For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. This promise is for you, for your kids, and for everyone who's far off. Think about for you. Don't you need this message to be true in your life? Don't you need this to be true? Is something in you screaming to be set free? Set free from all of the, 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 the work, all of the perfectionism, all of the pursuit in life, all of the desire to finally get it together, all of the, the, the self-help garbage. Aren't you just aching inside to be set free? Do you see that all of that isn't going to get you anywhere? Do you realize that all of your self-help is actually idolatry and you are taking Jesus and his work on the cross, throwing it to the side and saying, I don't need that. I'm good. I can handle this. Do you hear that and get stabbed in the chest? What about your kids? Totally changes the way we do family now. The goal for parents isn't to raise kids who are good kids. The goal of parents is to raise kids who see their desperate need of Jesus Christ. And that was actually what Marie and I were down front praying for earlier. As parents now, we're not just trying to get our kids to live better lives and do good things and go off to college and get a good career. And That's not the goal anymore. The goal is that our kids would see their desperate need for Jesus and would fall head over heels in love with Jesus. That only he can do things in their life and they can't do it on their own completely changes the way we do parenting uh, even for me yesterday so i uh one of my kids asked me for something and to be quite honest they just didn't deserve it i don't know if that's ever happened at your house and so i was uh i was driving down the road and um and i stopped and i said lord gotta be honest i don't want to get this i don't want to get this for you um but I want to be led by you. 
I'm going to do everything that you tell me to do. I don't want to do anything of my own will, determination, thought process, what I think is right and wrong. What, what do you want me to do? And just like that, the Lord said to me, um, do I show grace to you? Yeah. So I got the thing, and I brought it home, and gave it to my kids, and, and, and I said, look, you don't get this because you've deserved it. You get this because I love you, and I want to show you grace, just like Jesus Christ shows us grace. I'm trying to use everything as a way of pointing them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It changes the way we do our parenting. And then it's for everyone. The answer for your crazy psychotic neighbor is not to move, right? Quit, quit putting realtor business cards in their mailbox, all right? That's not the answer. The answer is the message of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus Christ that sets them free and makes them new. I'm going to ask our band to come up. And they're going to lead us. And, and I'm not going to have you stand and sing this morning. I want you instead just to kind of sit and ponder and pray. You can come up front and pray, whatever you'd like. Have someone pray with you, for you. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, this message, this message that Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again to set you free, to make you right, to give you, to separate you from your sin so that you can be united with God. This message that comes and says Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin to take up all of the wrath of your sin, all of the punishment that your sin rightfully deserved, to take all of that for you so that you can just have sonship with God. That message that says we know that you have been striving, seeking, toiling, working to make your life better. You're trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You're trying your best to claw your way through life. You don't have to do that anymore. Jesus Christ came to make you new. That message, that message is what we must hear. That message is the answer for us every single day of our lives. That message is exactly what the world needs to hear. When you go to school and go to work and go back home to your neighborhood, everywhere we work and play and live, this is the message that we are proclaiming. Jesus Christ makes you new. You can turn to him. Jesus Christ came and died and rose again to make you new. You can turn from that from your sin, from your self-reliance, from your rebellions, from your self-will, from your self-determination, and be immersed in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ and be made new. So Lord, I pray for us here this morning. God, I pray, one, for every believer in Christ here in this room, That we would, God, the gospel is not just that thing that we did, that prayer that we prayed to become a Christian. It is the air that we breathe. It is the absolute center focus of our lives we are now when you Jesus changes everything about us I pray this message 
flips us upside down just like it did the people in the book of Acts. I pray, God, for those here this morning who have never believed by faith in Jesus. I pray, Lord, today that they see that Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again to make them new. I pray, God, that people all over this room are getting stabbed in the heart and they're saying, I need Jesus. I turn from my old life and I want to be immersed in all that Jesus has for me. His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. I want it all. Jesus, make me new. Pray, God, that we take that message out in our own personal lives, in our families, our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools. Jesus, do this in us. Thank you, Jesus. By, by your death, burial, and resurrection, it is now well in our souls. We are now set at peace with you, God. We get to just walk in fullness with you. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.
thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you have made it well. We thank you, Jesus, that you have made us new in you. I thank you, God, for the glory of the gospel, God, that sets us free and allows us, empowers us to live a brand new life in you, Jesus. I ask you, God, that the truth of this message completely soaks up every cell in our being, God, our very DNA at our core is just changed by it, God, just everything that we think, do, act, believe is completely engulfed, Jesus, in who you are for us, what you did through us, to, uh, for us, and now did in us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for the glory of the gospel, and because of that, it truly is now well with our souls. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week. All things have passed away. Your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains.